Welcome to a conversation powered by Connected Learning, where we chat with some of today's leading minds about new learning approaches designed for the demands and opportunities of the digital age. Connected Learning values the new ways many young people today access information, gain expertise, and learn alongside peers and mentors using the internet, social networks, and digital technology. We're excited you're here to join the conversation as we seek to make learning relevant. Hello, this is Cheryl Grant, Director of Social Networking for Haystack for the Digital Media and Learning Competition. Today we're chatting with David Theo Goldberg about connected learning and how it intersects with the work he's heading up at the Digital Media Learning Competition. Hi, David. Hi, Cheryl. David has a wide ranging professional background as a scholar on issues such as critical race theory, cultural studies and digital humanities. And currently, he is the director of the University of California Humanities Research Institute, the executive director of the Digital Media and Learning Research Hub, and co-founder of the Humanities, Art, Science, and Technology Alliance and Collaboratory, otherwise known as Haystack, and oversees the annual Digital Media and Learning Competition. Uh, David, um, jumping into some questions here, drawing from some of your comments in a in a 2012 short film series on the thinking behind connected learning, what are some of the biggest challenges formal learning institutions face when it comes to engaging today's learners? Um, yeah, so if we're talking about higher education, the most immediate, immediate one, of course, is access and cost. Uh, you know, about a third of the population in the US and less in many other places um, has access to institutions of higher learning. Uh, and the cost is rapidly rising. There's been something like a 435% inflation in you know, roughly the last 25 or 30 years. Um, you know, arguably something like 10 or 11% a year in uh, the cost of higher education. So it's become increasingly prohibitive and one can ask Today, um, you know, different from half a century ago, so who is higher education for? Who, who does it serve? It used to bring people into the middle class. Um, it still has something of that function, but um, in a much more challenged way. So that's the first thing. The second is that uh, the use of technologies over the last 20 or so years um, has become more ubiquitous, more prolific, uh, enabled more people to have access to wider ranges and arguably to some extent deeper ranges of information um, and learning possibilities. Um, and uh, younger people uh, in particular are more and more facile with, uh, with the technology um, and more facile for the most part than older folks. Uh, and so one of the things is, you know, as younger people uh, become techno-capable um, and much more readily techno-capable than, uh, than uh, those who are older adults, coming into institutions of higher learning, they find increasingly boring because um, it's engaging, you know, notions of activity and um, and how one learns and what one learns and what ways one learns and so on uh, in ways that are increasingly alien to them. And so one of the challenges facing learning institutions is how to be more agile, more mobile, more uh, creative. 
And can, can you tell us a little bit about how you see connected learning addressing some of the challenges that you mentioned uh, specifically in higher education environments? Yes, so the first thing to say, I think, is that um, connected learning is not about the connection uh, technologically enabled being the driving force of learning. Um, the technological connection, the technological enablement, which I'll come back to spell out a little more in a minute, um, is really a, a facilitator of learning rather than the designer of what, you know, of what learning uh, ought to be itself. So uh, to put it in a kind of pithy statement, the, uh, the theory of learning should drive what technology one needs in order to enable that theory of learning to be materialized. Uh, the technology should not be, the, the nature of the technology should not be that which uh, drives how learning takes place or, or, or what learning should be done. Uh, that latter was really the mistake that MOOCs made. I mean, MOOCs, you know, got enamored with the technology and the technological enablement, even as it fell a bit flat on its face, uh, even on technological terms. But it, it, it pulled into uh, the MOOC movement a very old conventional notion of learning that, that was off-putting and, and was done at a distance, not as well as it, as it has been done for a long time face-to-face, -face, right? So that model of the sage on the stage, the brain dump of, uh, you know, an, a, a, a content expert, sort of just spilling everything he or she knows in front of a largely passive, at least in the moment, passive audience, uh, then facilitated by a bit of getting together, is not a very effective um, um, understanding or a theory of learning. So connected learning for us really puts the learner at the center of things um, and understands the learning um, to be personal, to be driven in a personal kind of way. It's interest and passion driven. Um, it's facilitated through technological enablement, but that technology, you know, and, and the connectivity is the connectivity of a kind of peer-to-peer -peer, uh, facilitation of the learning. So that, you know, there's plenty of data to show that learning takes place for most people much more effectively when they're interactive with peers trying to figure things out together than when they're trying to, you know, um, get to a solution to a problem uh, on, on, on their own. Connected learning provides the possibility within higher education to transform the classroom experience, um, right? When you are able to put people into working groups together, maybe breakout groups and present them with a set of challenges to address together. Um, and I've seen this in my own teaching, even at the graduate level. So I think there's a lot of work to be done um, as much, if not more, uh, at the level of higher education in areas of K through 12. You were talking about MOOCs in your in your response, and, and that made me think about uh, an uh, opening introduction you gave at the 2013 Reclaim Open Learning Symposium at UC Irvine. And there was a handful of groups who were recognized for their innovation in opening higher ed up to the masses. How does the Reclaim Open Learning Initiative resonate with you on a personal and a professional level? 
Yeah, so, I mean, Reclaimer Open Learning is an attempt to open things up both within higher education and for the set of publics for whom higher education, higher learning, um, you know, would be a possibility and an attraction. So, you know, as I started out by saying, I mean, access is a major um, concern these days with respect to higher learning. People want to continue learning, to do continue learning throughout their lives, right? I mean, we're all picking up new things, new ways of doing things, new modes of uh, address, uh, not just because of the technology, but also because of the, the pool, the attractiveness of, of, of knowing more uh, about the world in which we live or how to get things done uh, um, and make things happen. Um, you know, whether it's professionally driven or whether it's just out of uh, individualized interest. Um, and um, the open learning, uh, the Reclaim Open Learning initiative or undertaking is an attempt to open up some of the tools of uh, learning um, to much more broadest demographic swaths of, of, of folk, um, and not just within institutions, but across institutions and indeed outside of institutional, that, that kind of, um, you know, walled condition, contained condition of institutional life. So the Reclaim Open Learning uh, Initiative, you know, drawing on what we've learned from connected learning um, is a way to unleash the forces, uh, you know, the widespread forces of, of, of interest-driven, passion-driven uh, kind of lear learning across all generations and to revivify, um, to, you know, bring alive once again the power of learning for all generations of people. You were mentioning the development of tools and that made me think about the annual digital media and learning competitions that have been great vehicles for spreading awareness about innovations. And one of them that we just experienced in a big way was, was digital badges. Would you say something or describe the way digital badges fit into the vision of connected learning? Uh, you know, I think one of the things that we ought to often overlook in all forms of institutionalized education, at least in higher education, is the, um, the, the flame, the drive of curiosity and the way in which it's often, if not snuffed out, close to it, right, dim. Um, that uh, the more we are able to ignite or reignite or encourage that flame of curiosity in people, um, you know, the greater the learning, the deeper the learning, the drive for learning uh, is likely to be. And so curiosity, um, you know, is often squeezed out by standardized forms of learning. Uh, alongside institutionalized forms of, of um, learning, of education, at least higher education, is, of course, a fairly um, settled notion of certification, of assessment, and um, and certifying what people know. And, uh, you know, one's diploma at the end of a degree, one's passing through graduation, one's transcript is um, the standardized form in which, um, you know, knowledge is certified by institutions, in this case of higher of higher learning, of higher education. And all they tell you is a kind of outcome. You have passed this, you know, you have passed through this course. You have um, to some or uh, some degree or some level of um, 
of degree, being able to demonstrate that you're, you know, you're able to regurgitate what you've learned in this course, uh, or maybe to show, you know, a little bit more generously, sort of that you're able to think along with the materials that you got from this course and over a series of courses that meet one's, um, the requirements of the degree you're, you're, you've acquired the degree. It doesn't tell um, the, the um, consumer of those transcripts or, certi or certificates, you, you know, what it is that you've learned along the way, the kind of, it gives no indication of the pathways of learning and what skills, what expertise, what facilities, what fluencies, what literacies one might have acquired along the way. And badges, badging undertaking or initiative emerged in order to be able to begin to address uh, and increasingly robustly to address um, that gap, those lacunae in uh, you know, coming into an institution of higher learning and leaving that institution of higher learning. Um, you know, for those who want to know what you acquired along the way, uh, badges become a almost step-by-step -step pathway um, certification uh, and endorsement of uh, you know what particular capacities one acquired uh, in 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 the learning process along the way, and so it's much more fine-grained. It's it it gives um, those who are concerned to, to employ people uh, a better understanding of um, you know of of what they've been through, uh, not just the uh, the you know the course grade uh, at, at the end of the course, and so you know we tried through the badging initiative to develop a at least supplemental, if not counter certification process uh, that would be more fine grained and pathway driven in, in in exactly this kind of way, and we're just seeing certainly in higher education. The coming online of a series of experiments or experimental undertakings with uh, with the use of badges in order to be able to develop a system um, or a set of profiles of pathway driven performance driven to some degree uh, learning that is more uh, fine grained in this way whether it's the Davis uh, agricultural program using a supplemental system or you know Purdue beginning to experiment with whole curricular, um, or uh, other places ASU and so on, you know thinking of the use of badges and beginning to implement badging um, as a way uh, of uh, revealing what knowledge has been acquired, uh, um, uh, assessing that knowledge, recognizing that knowledge, and certifying it. So. Moving a little bit away from badges, but perhaps connected in interesting ways, we've been hearing more about the international virtual exchange community embracing the vision of connected learning. How do you feel cross-cultural interactions among youth fits into the connected learning model? Yeah, that's a, a, a nice question. I mean, uh, you know, the standard ways in which um, learning, um, you know, the the the, the the driving model for learning in the last decade or two, particularly in the last decade, um, so certainly within higher education and you know stepping backwards from higher education back into K through twelve, um, the the kind of pedigree model is STEM, 
right? So that uh, kids should know the principles of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, um, that the skills are acquired, we need more people in STEM, the, um, the high-tech economy requires it. And, I mean, that kind of standardized story, you know, the president um, uh, continues to repeat almost every college and university president somehow repeats it. And uh, humanities, if it's, if they, you know, and, and arts and, and to some degree social sciences, if they get mentioned at all, get mentioned sort of, you know, as the, the, the trailing kind of possibility, you know, that takes place sort of at the edges of learning rather than, you know, what, what, uh, what, what was the presumption 50 or more years ago where the humanities and, um, and qualitative social sciences uh, in particular were you know, considered to be at the center of the university curriculum. Knowledge, you know, knowledge about culture, knowledge about, it, 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 it's a curious paradox that in an increasingly globalized world, um, right, where you would think it imperative um, that people know more and more about the world and the peoples and cultures uh, in the world around us that impact us on a daily basis and we impact on a daily basis um, individually and collectively and interact with in increasingly heterogeneous globalizing worlds. You know, as that world has become more complicated, we seem to have narrowed our horizon about what we should know culturally. So virtual exchange uh, has been an attempt these past few years that that undertaken on the part of a number of um, of, of uh, organizations that have formed the virtual exchange community have increasingly wanted and um, both out of political and pedag pedagogical sort of undertakings um, have, have, have wanted to address um, those shortcomings, those lacunae, um, those gaps. Um, and so, you know, with the use of virtual technologies, of technologies that, um, that bridge the, uh, th those um, both uh, material and cultural distances, uh, virtual exchanges become a way of bringing people into a uh, common space in order to have exchanges around cultural knowledge building uh, of uh, more or less distant cultures one from another. And so I think it's an, uh, an especially important undertaking, both in order to address global issues and problems and challenges on the one hand, and make young people more sophisticated, sophisticated growing up into these complicated cultural uh, environments. And speaking of international and global, did you want to let people know anything about the upcoming digital media and learning competition? Yeah, so there, uh, there are two and possibly three competitions on the horizon. Uh, uh, one horizon is immediate, uh, like the end of this week, uh, where um, the, uh, the next round of the, the next immediate round of the digital media and learning competition five uh, will be launching. Um, that is in conjunction with a nonprofit organization called Voto Latino, which is best known for its work in voter registration, particularly among the Latino community that based in Washington, D.C., um, run by, founded and run by Maria Teresa Kumar and Rosaria Dawson, two absolutely wonderful people um, who uh, 
and we are partnering with them um, for a competition uh, aimed at millennials 18 to 34 years old, any and all millennials 18 to 34 years old, um, on, on, on the one hand, in order to address um, challenges facing uh, Latino, the Latino community uh, on the other. So one doesn't have to be a Latino millennial in order to develop um, technological uh, possible solutions to the kinds of challenges. But the challenges that we're most concerned about are the challenges that are faced with uh, immigration challenges, health challenges, education uh, challenges, uh, political challenges, and so on and so forth, facing uh, the Latino community and how they might be addressed. Um, that competition will launch on uh, this Saturday, the 12th of April, uh, and will run through the summer um, into the fall. So stay tuned for that announcement. It will be on a computer near you um, sooner than, <laughs> than you think. Uh, and then the broader, um, the uh, broader digital me uh, media and learning competition five uh, will launch in September. Uh, that will be thoroughly international um, and will focus on issues of privacy uh, and trust uh, and, and access uh, and safety in the use of digital tools and uh, the web. Uh, for learning undertaking, uh, particularly for youth and the development of uh, learning programs, applications, uh, in order to address that set of problems. And it will uh, be launched um, in a way in conjunction with the, the Aspen or coterminous with the Aspen report um, uh, on uh, privacy in the internet, which will be announced uh, a bit later this year. And that will uh, we will um, be announcing that in a uh, probably in May, uh, and uh, there'll be time to uh, respond to the announcement through the summer. And the uh, deadline for the competition will be in the fall. Great, thank you so much, David. Thank you, Cheryl. Thanks for joining us here at the Connected Learning Alliance. If you missed any of this conversation or want to listen to more discussions, check out our website at clalliance.org or subscribe to our podcast channel on iTunes. See you back here for more talks with change makers and thought leaders who are building the next generation of learning.